Hello, Agnes. Hi, Robin. Today, we're going to talk about respect, as in the R-E-S-P-C-T song, I guess, right? Another E in there, but yes. Yes. (laughs) All right. So uh, I just will start the conversation by observing that even though in principle, respect should be a continuous thing, like the most general concept is you might respect people uh, and multidimensional. There's just lots of different things you could respect people for, and they'll be higher or lower. There seems to be this binary concept and a shared concept of respect where within some social circle, there's what it is to be treated with respect and you're either treated with respect or not. And it's supposed to be a shared concept that uh, if you can complain you're not treated with respect, there's supposed to be a thing we all understand in some area what that means. And that's important to people. This binary shared concept of respect as opposed to just a generic multidimensional vector of all the different you know degrees in which you could like or not like somebody thinks. So the question in my mind is, well, what is this binary concept of respect? Where does it come from and how do we use it? You came to the right person. I have an answer. Um, So we did not play this, by the way. Uh, We didn't know that Robin would ask a question to which I have an answer. It's very likely you're not going to think it's an answer. But anyway, uh, so I think that the primal scene of respect is not how much do I respect some other guy um, that you and I are talking about, but how much do I respect you? That is, it's a, uh, there's the question um, is the person that I'm interacting with, does the person that I'm interacting with respect me? And the reason why I think that's a yes or no question, binary rather than a degree question, is um, it's really a question of do they respect me at least as much as themselves or something? Um, Which is a pretty high standard. Yeah. Um but it's like kind of crazy high standard, really. It, so suppose you respect me more than a rock or something, yeah. right? It's like that just wouldn't cut it for me. And I mean, suppose you even respect me more than most people. Um, I think in in many con in in most contexts that wouldn't suffice for me. I would say you didn't you don't respect me if you don't respect me as your equal. And so I think the concept of respect and the concept of egalitarianism are very closely connected. So I could interact with celebrity or someone who I very clearly admit is above me in some ways, mm-hmm. but I still might not, you know, care about them as much as I care about myself in many other ways. So uh, now we're more ambiguous. Uh, you know, for example, I might be eating a meal and the celebrity might be hungry. Do I just give all my food to the celebrity because he's better than me? Well, maybe not if I'm especially hungry, right? So there's a sense in which I would prioritize myself even though I might very much respect them on some things or even overall. Are we talking about an evaluation or some degree of deference or, you know, support that I'm getting I- I think when you are actually socially interacting with people rather than merely potentially, right? So it's important. The person is in front of you. They're part of your group. You're doing something with them. It is not appropriate to prioritize yourself. Think of it a restaurant, right? It's actually not appropriate to take more food. Um, It often is inappropriate if somebody asks you for some of your food to say no. So I think, of course, so, 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 okay, here's another important fact. I think about both respect and equality. It's about creating a certain social conceit that only has to be true as long as the interaction lasts. Um, and um, 
but you have to be you have to give the person the feeling of being your equal at least for as long as the interaction lasts and yeah that means you're not allowed to like have more food than them if that's the relevant thing that you're interacting over it seems hard to believe that we typically hold the standard of you know tr acting as if we care about somebody else as much as ourselves in in a social interaction certainly concept of respect is is given a wider use. It's not just in the case of two people interacting strongly. Often, for example, there could be a whole room full of people interacting, and we still might talk about whether someone in the room was being respected or not by others in the room. Right. So um, I guess I think if, if the person is... I, I think in many contexts, um, treating other people with respect is going to involve not drawing attention to ways in which you prioritize your needs over theirs. Um, and so it'll even be things like if they if their foot hurts or if they have a cold or if whatever, um uh, um um like you're kind of pretending you pretend as though that's as important to you as if it were happening to you i do think that's a phenomenon but if we're talking about someone in a room not being treated with respect like by like a group or something so there could be like a group of hecklers or something who are trying to prevent a speaker from speaking and then we would say that they're not treating the speaker with respect i i agree that's the use of the word respect so, um, what, yeah, well, I don't know. What do you want to say about that case? Well, I, I think I want to just collect some cases here before we get jumping to a grand theory of everything, just to, to, to mark the, the sort of thing we're trying to explain. So, um, I, I might think of say, um, I don't know, a group of kids all at an amusement park going together around the park together, say, mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, it might be a sign of disrespect if, say, you know, I don't know, there's eight of them and then six of them fit on a ride and two of them doubt or something or, you know, right. where some, you know, they're supposed to include all of them in each thing they do. And if they sort of jump ahead and do something other people couldn't, that might be a sign of disrespect uh, or. Um, so that fits the egalitarianism model, right? That respect is that we are each equally worthy and the two that are excluded feel like they're less valuable than the others. So the egalit the the, the right. thing I was saying about equality and recognition doesn't necessarily pertain only to two people, but it pertains to the the actual group that you're actually interacting with. So a conversation, say a party or a reception or yeah. something with a lot of people standing around, um, someone might feel disrespected or see someone as disrespected if they couldn't get it a word in edgewise. Perhaps uh, they were sort of talked down, uh, interrupted. Um, or if they made a point, then everybody just paused and ignored it and just went on talking about something else as if they had never spoken. Yeah. Um, you know, or if people sort of, regarding what they said, they sort of talked down to it as if it, as if it was a child sort of trivial thing and didn't, you know, treat, try to interpret it as a sophisticated, thoughtful comment. Right. Um, and in fact, if there was a child in the room, we might see this disrespect exactly of the child. That is, we might ask, how might a child be treated? And if you were treated like a child, you might legitimately 
say you were being disrespected. Yes. Children are systematically treated with disrespect, um, in particular by the parents. Yeah. Right. So that would be a way to measure or to, to find out the, you know, what would count. But I'm not sure it's the same as treating each person in the conversation as valuable as yourself. It seems to me we're, it's a bit of a weaker standard than that, but there's certainly some sense in which um, it, some visibly treating them as less than others is it's disrespect. I think I think that's closer to the truth that that is basically when we can infer some way in which you're counting someone as less because of what you did, uh, then we're going to call that disrespect. I think that you're right that if the group is more than two people, then we can get a standard going that is lower than treating them differently from how you would treat yourself, right? Because it could just be that now there's a standard within the group of everybody gets to talk for a minute. And like, if everybody got interrupted, you wouldn't be offended over being interrupted, right? You're offended right. if you're the only one who gets interrupted. Right. But I mean, so in some sense, like there's a lot of these different measures. So imagine one person that in the room is especially pretty and many eyes are, you know, looking at this person sideways glance perhaps, but like, like they're just catch people's eyes more. Like mm -hmm. are other people being disrespected now? I can imagine like, in some contexts, yes, to some contexts, no. That is, we might limit our scope of respect maybe to the conversational moves. Uh, or, I mean, maybe someone in the room is actually in a wheelchair or something, and then we accommodate that person's same movement for the Romans' ways we wouldn't accommodate other people. I'm, I'm trying to think there could be a bunch of different dimensions to our interactions, and we, for some of the dimensions, we might count those for respect, and for others, we might, um, you know, think that doesn't count. Well, when you say we, it's like there, you know, it may be that some people are not counting the who gets looked at, but then other people are counting that and are feeling disrespected because they're not being looked at as much as this other person. So I, I don't know that there's always a commonly agreed upon standard. But for any one person, they still might have these different aspects that they're counting. That is, for some interaction, they might think, oh, in this interaction, only these things count for respect. Yeah. Um, you know, for example, like let's you know, if we think of a sporting event, say a, ro a race, right? Uh, we're about to write, you know, the gun's going to go off and we all run. Um, it's a very limited set of dimensions that count for treating the runners as equally in the race. Uh, you, you'd be quite allowed to look at some of the runners more than others. And for the purpose of the race, that wouldn't be seen as unfair or disrespectful. Um, and, you know, that's a sense which, you know, the, the, the interaction has a certain purpose and structure, and for that purpose or structure, uh, we we identify certain things as what's required for respect. So I I think that that's right, but to me, all of that indicates that um, what we're doing is using certain um, certain kinds of responses or paying attention to certain features as markers of respect. Um, right. So so I could express my respect for you by shaking your hand or by bowing. Right. Depending on the culture, there will be different like markers of respect. But the question, what are the markers? And the marker could be giving everyone the same amount of time to talk or um, it could be saying good point after every point that everyone makes. Right. And and you could imagine that in some cultures, 
the amount of markers of respect that you have to give can go up a lot. So we need, we're paying attention to a lot of different things and we're constantly having to like produce these, these signs of respect. Whereas in other cases, everyone just has the default, ah, we respect each other. You can behave however you want. Right. But, but between all of those, the thing that's common is that there's, there are these markers and that the question is, what are those markers or markers of, um, that is, what are they like? Like when I say good point, I'm signaling respect. Okay, what is the what is the respect? What am I respecting about you? And that's what I was trying to answer when I said that respect is um, treating others as oneself or treating others as being of equal importance to oneself or something like that. So I think the idea that you're like caring about their feelings and their outcomes as much as yourself, that just seems like an implausibly high standard, at least to actually be true, we might want to give some form or appearance of it in some limited degree. Uh, but, you know, equal is more ambiguous. I mean, I think it, I think it might be close to the truth, but then, you know, it, the question is equal what exactly? I mean, since we're high dimensional creatures, you know, how do we add up all the different features of you and me in order to add up to a single number that must be equal or something that, that's not clear how you would do all that weighing? and how people would agree on that way. Right. So so um, I think you're right, first of all, that equal seems a bit idealized. Um, and it seems like a high bar equal to yourself. But if you recall, you posed an original problem, which is like, why is this um, on or off? Like, why isn't it just, well, you have different degrees. I respect you to eight. You know, someone else, that's you're a six. Six is pretty good. Better than a three, right? Um, and... Um, and people don't seem to want that. They just want to be treated with respect. And, and equal, equality would explain why it goes like that. But now the question is, okay, but what... Um, it, and, and it may be that in most cases, this idea of you're just important as, as important as me is nothing more than a conceit. It's a, well, I'm pretending. And the fact that equality involves a lot... I really think it does involve a lot of pretending. Social practices of equality the the evidence for that is how many things would be awkward to import into the conversation right so there's just a lot of things that people don't talk about even people who are close to each other would not bring up with one another because it would shatter the conceit of equality is one of the two of us smarter is one of the two of us more socially successful um you know in a in a in a, in a romantic couple like is one of the two of us more um sexually frustrated right? these are things like we don't bring up we deliberately don't bring them up because we're trying to preserve this illusion or conceit or whatever of equality and but that doesn't answer the, so that's just like how equality manifests in most social settings is we're gesturing at something that isn't true but we're we can maintain it as though it were true by like not mentioning a bunch of things and staying away from certain territory. And part of what it is, I think, to have social skills is to be good at maintaining this conceit of equality in social settings. Um, what is the actual thing that we're pretending we're equal in is a different question. I have an answer to that too. But before I give you the answer, you, I, you might want to, I don't want to just go on and on. So. Well, I still want to anchor ourselves in more concrete examples before introducing RAND theories. Uh, so I mean, one example that comes to mind is maybe, you know, a celebrity child actor who is a college student. And then in the college class, you might be pretending they are to celebrity or something. Yeah, that's a good right. idea. And then the question is, when is it okay to acknowledge they are a celebrity? 
Yeah. Like it might be the discussion, you know, comes to celebrities. Yeah. And then we might turn to this person and say, you're a celebrity. What do you think about this claim just made about a celebrity? I've thought about this because I've thought about like, what would I do if there was a celebrity in my class? Would I like if Taylor Swift decided to enroll at the University of Chicago right. and she took one of my classes, I think it would be genuinely hard. I would be morally obligated to treat her like any other student. And I would find that very difficult. So there are some contexts in which um, your differing abilities, it is respectful to acknowledge and to accommodate. So imagine a basketball team of five players, right? If they each have different skills, then it would make sense for the team to respect each player by putting them in the place on the on this on the feet, you know, on the, on the place where they play. Like, court. Court, that's it. That matches their skills, their differing skills. So, you know, so now there's differences we'd be acknowledging in the same way that we might acknowledge that the celebrity actually knows more about celebrities than we'd ask her to, you know, speak to that topic. So now it's going to be more subtle. How can we acknowledge each person's differing skills and still be treating everyone equally? Or, or say that we have a potluck. And you make a great, you know, roast chicken or something. And we say, why don't you bring your great roast chicken to the potluck? We, we didn't ask Alice to bring her roast chicken because it's not as good, but we're going to ask Alice to bring her pineapple dessert because that's great, you know? So can we tr acknowledge differences in people when we treat them with respect? So I think we do acknowledge the differences, but I also think we engage in a very telling and hilarious uh, practice that I call balancing that shows that like we're okay with the differences but they have to get balanced out so like I i've noticed this with you robin sometimes i'll say something bad about myself like i'm bad at this or whatever and you'll often tell me either that i'm good at something else or that you're bad at something right yeah. we everyone does this we like like it's not allowed for just for just someone to be like i'm bad at something or i you know the, so so we're, we're we're trying somehow to balance so it's like it's fine to say okay alice can bring her you know, pineapple cake, that's really good. But like, then we're going to, we're going to make everyone feel like they have some unique, special, good thing to contribute, which may not be true. Right. right. It may just be, there's one person who's terrible at cooking and we're like, Oh, well you'll be like in charge of, you know, whatever. And we're going to pretend whatever it is we put them in charge of is just as important as the other things, but it might not be. Um, so yes, we acknowledge differences, but then we try to smooth out or balance out the differences to get back to equality. So uh, as an a particular uh, application that matters especially to your eye, which is the application of, say, an open debate or discussion where people yeah. may have taken different positions initially. And then if we allow a sort of open debate, a full debate, it may turn out that one person turns out to be right and the other turns out to be wrong. Yeah. And is that treating the wrong person with respect? Can yeah. we have an open debate which allows the you know, conclusions to be whatever, and yet treat all the participants with respect. Correct. I think the answer is no. No, I don't. And this is why I don't believe in debate. I think it's disrespectful. So, so say discussion, investigation, oh, inquiry. It's different because if it's that's totally different case. So say you and I are having a discussion, which we are right now. Right. And say like you disagree with me about equality because I think equality involves treating other people as being as valuable as yourself and you think that's too high a bar. 
as long as you're if your attitude were well look i know i'm right that it's too high a bar and agnes is wrong about this and maybe i'll bring her around by the end of this conversation or maybe not i think that's not treating me as your equal um i think that's treating me as your inf- your potentially incorrigible inferior but if you're like well look maybe she's right that it really is treating someone as your equal or maybe i'm right and we're gonna figure this out and by the end of this conversation we'll think the same thing um or we at least hope to have that result, then I think you are treating me as your equal. The problem with debates is that it, it, debates never aim to persuade the other debater. They aim to persuade the audience. And I think that's disrespectful towards the other debate. But in your scenario where two people are discussing a claim and then in the end, they will agree on the truth of being A or not A, say, one of them initially said A, one of them initially said not A. Now they come to agree at the end of A. There's still a sense of which the person who initially claimed A is being treated better in the sense that we can all see they were right and the other was wrong. So, 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 so is that disrespectful to, to acknowledge whether, somebody was wrong? Are you, so, so, I mean, somehow you're imagining that this conversation between the two people, you're standing outside this, you're like some kind of audience. And that the important thing about this conversation is how it's viewed by some audience. But I'm imagining you're the person who says A or you're the person who says not A. And at least, like, the more obvious thing to say is that it's the one who initially said not A who received the benefit in this case, right? Because they learned something. The one who initially said A didn't learn anything at all. And so we're not. But respect isn't about benefits, right? It's about sort of how highly you evaluate them. And so, so, especially if we imagine a group of eight people or something talking and then, you know, one person says A and somebody else in the group says not A. And now the others are listening as these two people debate, debate A and not A. And then finally, in the end, the second person agrees, okay, yes, you're right, it's A. But the question is, will that person you know, seem lesser in the eyes of the others, just like Alice might seem lesser if she wasn't invited to bring the chicken that she might have wanted to and was assigned the dessert or something, right? We might think... Whoever can bring the main dish is, is a more important dish than the dessert dish, and that we might see whoever was assigned that as getting more respect. Similarly, in a group, I think it's quite common to see whoever was seen as correct in a in exchange like that as having gained status, gained prestige, res, you know, respect in the group, and then the person who is wrong loses a bit. So I think that that I, I I agree. I think that's this is the tough case. And so I'm glad that we landed here because this is what I think all of respect is about. Um, that is, I think every single time we respect people under any circumstances, we're gesturing at the case where there's two people and they disagree. And um, the real egalitarianism is um, recognizing another person as your equal and recognizing them as having a claim on the truth even when they disagree with you. And I think that, um, um, you know, it, it, um, we don't always achieve that in how we talk to people. So suppose that, suppose that you're right about something, right? But I disagree with you. And, um, you know, you, you think you're right. You're sure that you're right. Um, and you're gonna, um, you're gonna try and get me to see that. So you're trying to persuade me. Um, and eventually you win, you persevere and you persuade me. And I say, Robin was right. Um, that can be plausibly described as like 
a victory for you because you got the thing you wanted, namely persuading me. But suppose that it wasn't your goal to persuade me. Suppose that your goal was really that we figure out what the right answer is. It could be that you're the one who's going to have the right answer at the end of the day. It could be that I'm the one who's going to have the right answer at the end of the day. And then we, you know, talk it through and we consider everything and we land on the view that you were right all along. Then that's not a victory for you. Any, it's not any more of a victory than if I had been right all along because your goal wasn't to make me believe the thing that you thought. So you didn't achieve that goal as opposed to the other goal. And I think it's only in that case, it's only if you see it that way that you are truly treating the other person as your equal. But this view you're outlining suggests that contests and games are never respectful. That is, if we have a foot race and one of us wins, according to this account, uh, the loser is disrespected. Uh, if we have a spelling bee and one of us wins, uh, you know, we can just often have contests in our social interactions. And is there a way to be respectful in a contest? Because if so, then why you know, that could also apply to this persuasion case. Yeah. So I would say um, not really, but pretending, yes. And most of respect is about pretending. That is, respect in almost every contest, context is about um, producing a certain set of conventionally agreed upon signals where what those signals communicate is if we were in the real scenario of egalitarianism where you and I disagreed about something important, we would pursue the inquiry in kind of open and inquisitive way and neither of us would be trying to persuade the other. So when I like shake your hand, that's what I'm signaling. When, when we have a contest with equal rules, that's what I'm signaling. And so treating people with respect is just sort of succeeding at that. In most contexts, it's just succeeding at that signaling game. And like, what does that mean in the context of sports? Well, it can it can require a lot. It can be like, oh, you have to shake hands after the match and you have to say things like good game. It could have gone either way or whatever. Often like there's quite a lot that's required. Often it'll be almost nothing. You just have to follow the rules. But in any case, if what you want to know is, are you really showing, are you really respecting the person? Is respect really being exhibited in the context of a sports match? The answer is no, it can't be. It can't be that we have common knowledge of this fact that sport events can't be respectful because otherwise you couldn't have a pretense that would cover it over. It, right. it could only be covered over for people who didn't know this true theory of respect and who are right. mistaken about some other theory. So under your account, most everyone's is quite mistaken about the nature of respect. Correct. Correct. You're lucky that you came to me about this question. Okay. But then we could talk about the concept of respect they have, which is different than yours, because according to their concept, you can have a respectful concept contest. And maybe we could ask what concept of respect they have in their heads. Right. Okay. Do you, do you want to offer something on their behalf? Well, um, a simple sort of, you know, anthropological story would be that just like norms differ in across cultures, uh, you know, these, the, the markers of respect vary mm -hmm. and that what it is to respect someone is to give the locally appropriate markers of respect. And that's literally what it is. Okay. I mean, your theory is very compatible with mine. Um, the difference between us is that I'm in a way showing more respect to people who are giving out these markers of respect because I'm saying, you know, it might look on the surface like all you're doing is giving out the locally approved upon markers, which also can't really be what people think they're doing, right? When when, when 
when I'm mad because somebody won't shake my hand, you know, and I'm like, he just didn't give me the locally approved upon mark of respect. Um, uh, I think that there's some deeper thing that it's gesturing at. And what I'm telling people is there really is a deeper thing that all these markers are gesturing at. There's somewhere else that they're pointing. And so your sense that there's something else there is correct. You just probably don't have a good theory about what that thing is. And that's what I'm offering you. So consider a matter of, of shunning. Um, yeah. So imagine there's a group community of people and that it would be possible for if everybody created sort of a common expectation that you were going to be shunned, if you were going to be excluded, that in yeah. fact, you wouldn't be invited by any of them to any events or, you know, acknowledge, et cetera. And you don't want to be excluded or shunned. Yeah. And so you could think of markers as respect as sort of the initial steps that might lead to shunning or exclusion. And you don't want them because that's where they might lead. Uh, that is, um, what you don't want is a consensus in this community that um, you're going to be treated lower than ever other people because that'll go badly for you in lots of different ways people will treat you. So you want the appearance, at least, that people are willing to see you as, you know, a member of the group who's not being shunned. Yeah. So that's another kind of, um, so, so in a way, right? So we have like a set of markers that people care about. And then there's the question, what is the deeper meaning, right? And I offered one deeper meaning, which is that what we're doing is we're telling each other if push came to shove and we really disagreed about something, we'd be able to treat each other as equals. And then your first account was like, you're skeptical of that kind of like Socratic transcendental rationalism. And so you're like, maybe it's just a bunch of markers. And I'm like, okay, my theory seems better than yours because at least I got something more than the markers. And then you're like, well, I can offer you something. I can offer you my usual kind of evolutionary story. Um, uh, about why the markers are in place, namely, um, um, they, you know, uh, people are afraid of abandonment. They, that is, they want other people to help them if they need help. And um, being, um, you know, having like s small amounts of disrespect, maybe people think it's like a slippery slope on the way to abandonment, right? Well, it's not just abandonment. It's like a coordination to shun, right? That is... You could, you could why, a... is shunning, why is shunning of any significance to you beyond abandonment? Suppose the group coordinates to shun you. How is that different from you're just by yourself? Well, I mean, that is, you can't go to any one of them and get them to help because they, even if one of them wanted to help you, the rest of them will punish this person for helping you. So that right. is, they are enforcing well, some abandonment. sort of, but it's a collective abandonment, not an individual one. It's like, well, it's an abandonment. I meant the situation that's equivalent to your being alone. Right. So, but, but that's much more than abandonment. Being alone, you know, I have to be, in a sense, abandoned by everybody. And so, like, usually it would be unlikely that everybody would abandon you unless they coordinate together to together abandon you. Well, I'm like, imagine like somebody alone on a desert island, like literally alone, meaning there are no other people. Yeah. Right. That, right. That's, no, that's much more than abandonment. Like, but okay. But the word isn't right. important, but the, the, this is a social function that you can see. Okay, but I guess the thing that I, the, the reason why I brought up that case, right, is that I think that the thing that you fear, I agree that people fear social shunning. But I mean, first off, I think they fear it even when they know they're not going to get into that really bad case. So even when they know that, like, whatever, their family and friends will still help them out. 
Um, and then second of all, I think like if you found yourself on a desert island, that would be bad in all sorts of ways, but you wouldn't have that distinctive, horrible feeling of abandonment or of shunning or whatever. And I think that um, respect is about the fact that you care about how other people think about you. Um, that is, that is your, your um, this new suggestion about what lies at the bottom of respect is to sort of translate respect into like, what if my bodily needs don't get fulfilled because there's nobody around to help me? But I think it's like, no, we, we have a direct interest in how others regard us. Um, and so we want our account of respect to place at like the culmination point of like what underlies all this, something like how other people regard you. Um, and my theory does that, which is to say you want other people to regard you as having a mind or as being a thinker or as having a claim on the truth, even when you disagree with them. And that's a matter of how they think about you. It's not just a matter of what you can get out of them. But your postulate, if we just end there, doesn't explain why you would want that. Whereas the sort of evolutionary account gives you a more straightforward story of why you want something like that. So... <laughs> Well, you, you didn't ask me about that part. I have an answer to that question. The reason why we want that thing is because very deep down, we have to keep going deeper, very deep down, we understand that we are incapable of thinking about things um, by ourselves. And in particular, we are incapable of thinking or we're capable of seeing our own blind spots. When we're wrong, we don't understand that we're wrong. And our most fun, the most fundamental need that we have of other people is not to smile at us or to give us food or to have sex with us um, or to help us raise children. The most fundamental need we have of other people is to think with us, which requires them to recognize our minds as minds even when we disagree. And it's that fundamental recognition that that's the basic human relation. That's what we're reaching for in respect. Seems to me that's one of many things we want for more fundamental reasons of not wanting to die and wanting to have descendants and that sort of thing. That is, that isn't the only thing we could want. It's a thing we could want, but we can understand why we want that because of these other more fundamental things we want. But it seems less insightful to sort of talk about which of these is the more fundamental because all the things we're talking about are, are quite a remove from our immediate experience. Uh, it seems to me the more interesting topic here is how do we navigate respecting people while still doing the other things we want to need to do? That is, how does respect and the need for respect get in the way of things? So we were talking about, you know, a, a discussion where one certain might be seen to win or lose. I think we agree that, uh, you know, an overly aggressive or naive, you know, application of the need for respect signals can get in the way of having an honest, thoughtful discussion about many topics. Well, so respect, there's a kind of respect tax, you might put it that way, on all of our interactions. So, and that's, I, I was gesturing at that in terms of, it places constraints on what we're allowed to say to other people. Um, but that's, that's going to be true in every context, except the one that we're actually um referencing by means of all these signals, which is the context of having an honest conversation. If you actually are having an honest conversation in which you're trying to figure something out, um, 
And if both people understand themselves as doing that, um, then then there should be no respect tax because then they're instead of signaling that they would regard you as having a mind were you to be in a context when you're disagreeing, you actually are in a context when you're disagreeing and they are regarding you as having a mind. And the more true that is of the conversation, the more you should be allowed to say anything at all. So there's a, a counter signaling phenomena where we, with strangers or mere acquaintances, we give certain signs of respect signs. And then with close associates, we often give opposite signs in order to distinguish close associates from strangers or mere acquaintances. And that seems related here in the sense that, you know, for strangers or acquaintances, you're not supposed to insult them and you're supposed to praise them in general. But often we show our closest associations to be closest by insulting them. And then we might even like point out their weaknesses with close associates. And there's a sense in which like the pitch might be, you know, you and I, if we were just acquaintances, we would have to do all these polite respectful things, but I respect you. I propose you and I respect each other enough to set all that aside Yeah, and be honest with each other and, you know, look me in the eye and know that I'm, you know, not doing these for bad reasons. And because we know each other and trust each other so much, we can not give the usual respectful signs in our interaction. And that's how we deeply respect each other. Yeah, it's just another form of the respect tax. And often that second form of the respect tax, the one where we spend a lot of time telling each other that we don't need to pay the respect tax, that second form is often more um, laborious, more it's a, it's a higher tax than the one that you do with strangers. And I think this is why often there's something refreshing about the kind of intellectual conversations you can have with people you don't know. Um, because you don't have to spend a lot of time telling each other that you know each other pretty well and respect each other. But what thinking about the the insults though that close associates give, right? Yeah, I mean, sorry to do those insults. It's like time you got to spend insulting each other instead of talking about something interesting. But what they're purporting is that there is this close relationship where we don't have to pay the tax. You're you're making the same sort of claim. That is, you're saying this is ideal conversation. If only we could be in that ideal conversation, then we wouldn't have to be paying respect tax there either. Yeah, right. I am saying that. Right. So I'm explicitly making that claim. They're taking up energy to signal that. And the fact that they're having a signal, it means it's not true. And why doesn't your version need signaling? It seems like you're just assuming that yours doesn't. I'm asserting. Asserting is different, right? Like, I'm just saying, here's something that is true about the ideal case. Um, That's not to say that it's true about any real case. It may be that real cases only ever approximate to the ideal. And so in real cases probably there's a number of ways in which people still like have to signal i still get annoyed at you when you interrupt me even though like we're trying to have intellectual discussions and so theoretically i shouldn't be annoyed by your interrupting me because it shouldn't matter because whether or not you interrupt me shouldn't be a signal of anything um but clearly i'm a defective interlocutor because i am giving that some weight um but yeah like at least like it, it it just sort of follows that if we're just directly getting the thing that we want, then we don't need to give the signal that we would be getting it in some other circumstance. It doesn't seem to me to follow at all, actually. Sorry. <laughs> um, so again, just to be clear, 
uh, typically we are uncertain about the degree of respect we are getting. And that's why people need to signal their respect to mm -hmm. show signs of respect. And um, we have these different modes, like the close, the acquaintance, the very close associate, the stranger, they, they give different signals. They have different kinds of uncertainty and they have, you know, different respect taxes. Um, if you could assume there was no uncertainty and everybody was completely sure that they were fully respected, yes, of course, in that case, there would be no need for a respect signal or respect tax. But yeah. since that never happens, can we talk about the real situations and how we navigate through those? Well, I still think it's important to talk about that case because my thought is that all the signal is gesturing at that case. And I also think that it's possible to be as a matter of degree, closer or farther from that case. So you can be like 85% in that case, or you can be like 20% in that case. But that's the whole point of the close associate story. But I so, don't think it's true that the close associates are more like 85%. I just don't, I don't think that's right. But let's walk through the detail then. So okay. if, if, the, if the thing causing the need for signals is uncertainty, so that's the standard signaling story, signals are... Uh, replace, you know, responding to uncertainty. Yeah. Uh, that is, somebody has a characteristic and you don't know what it is, but you care about it. And so they are going to do things in particular ways to try to show you characteristics of themselves, but yeah. that has signaling costs. Then the story is that you know the least about strangers, so you have the most uncertainty. And with acquaintances, you know more. And with close associates, you know even more. Therefore, the problem of knowing too little is reduced with the close associates, which is why the claim would be there's less need for signaling taxes for the close associates. And then in the ideal case, you would know them completely and have no uncertainty about them. And therefore, we reach your ideal where we're both completely sure that we're, you know, kind-hearted and, and, you know, smart and trying to solve this problem together. So, um, 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 I'm glad you posed this point because it is a good way to illustrate how good my theory is. Um, because um, my theory does not predict that if you know someone better, you will have less uncertainty on this question. The, it, recall what what we're um, certain or uncertain about is the scenario where you and I disagree and we disagree about something really important. It's going to be something important. It's going to be something that we're like, you know, kind of disagreeing about it, m whether you're a good or a bad person might hinge on this, right? So significant disagreement. And the question is, um, can we conduct that disagreement in an open and inquisitive way where each of us still allows that the other of us has a mind in spite of the fact that this disagreement is present? Now, suppose you have some close associates. It could even be your spouse. And suppose you've had lots of opportunities to have this kind of disagreement, but you've always like veered away from it. You've never actually had it. You've, and in fact, when you've sort of tried it, it, it's gone badly, right? Over time, you might actually become more uncertain. The more you know them, you might become more uncertain about whether you could, if push came to shove, really do this thing, this ideal thing. And um, it may be that at least many of us could be more optimistic with a new person. Like you at least don't have evidence that it is going to fail yet. Um, so it's actually not obvious to me that you're going to um, be, that if respect is what I'm saying it is, 
that you're going to um, feel more certain when you know the people. And um, I think that this sort of corresponds to like how quite often when people know each other quite well, but like in a context where real intellectual engagement and disagreement is not really permitted, like family, like over Thanksgiving or whatever, there are there are there's a lot of um, stuff you have to do to show each other that you respect each other. There are a lot of forms and people are easily insulted because they feel very uncertain about what would actually happen in this case. So um, a classic uh, explanation for why people shake hands is to show they don't have a knife in their hand. Right. Okay. So let's take this as a concrete kind of thing you might signal. Yeah. So imagine two people, so if two complete strangers approach each other in the woods or something, um, they might have a knife in their hand and they might be planning to knife the other one. And so they might need to approach surly and open their hands in front of them perhaps to show that they don't have a knife in their hands. Now, you might imagine two people living together a lot who, in fact, never show their hands to each other and sleep in separate locked rooms. And then, you know, in fact, almost never show each other that they don't have a knife in their hand. Now, after several years of that, you might come to think they probably do have a knife in their hand because of all these years that they would refuse to show you what was in their hand. Right. Okay. So I'm not sure I want to call these people close exactly. <laughs> that is, they've had the chance to get close and they repeatedly refused the chance. Yes. And they repeated... I think this is how most people are with respect to most people whom they call close. Their, their family members, their spouses, etc. They shy away from disagreements about things that really matter. And yeah, it's like never putting out your hand. So if you want to say most people are just not close to other, actually close to anyone with whom they've spent many days of their lives, I'm okay with that. I think that's right. I think philosophical friendship is real friendship. And if you don't have it, then you're not really, you might be physically close to people, but you're not actually close to them. I would say that most people who spend a lot of time interacting do end up revealing many things about themselves, including whether they have a knife in their hand. They also end up revealing many things about, you know, their opinions of themselves and others, et cetera, in their conversations. And so I, I think that, in fact, people do know more about the uh, intentions and um, beliefs about people they know closely. Um, right. So the, the, there, there are many things you're going to know about those people, and I'm not going to deny that. And so there are many ways in which you will be comfortable around them. But there's a question... Um, you would also know how much they respect you. And so this whole discussion is about respect. And that's why I think that, in fact, people you know closely for a long time, you, in fact, know a lot more than you do about strangers about how much they respect you. And so there's less need for them to give you respect signals when you know more how much they respect you. I I guess I just think, um, like, um, um, it's just so so if I wanna if I wanna think what are some populations that don't give a lot of respect signals to each other, um, I don't think the answer is husbands and wives. I think husbands and wives give tons of respect signals to each other. The answer might be children to their siblings, um, especially young children. They don't yet realize they have to do it. Um uh but I think that um uh the 
the it, you know it may, it may very well be that the respect signals take the convoluted form that you described of like insulting each other to show that we don't have to give these respect signals um but that's just to say we do still have to give the respect signals and which is to say in spite of everything we know about each other in spite of the fact that you know we've been living under the same house for years and i know everything about your family whatever there's still a way in which like at the end of the day, we don't really know whether we respect each other enough to stand up to the really hard test that we've been avoiding for many years. I think that's a real phenomenon, and I think that you have that has to explain why um, couples do still make an effort to show each other these respect signals, even mm-hmm. though they've they've been close for a long time. So, people who are close interact with each other in many ways over a long time, but. There are many ways that they have not interacted with each other. So like most couples probably have never done a sword fight with each other, for example. Uh, you know, literal sword <laughs> fights. I to get me to do sword fights. <laughs> okay. I never okay, right. And so perfectly fine to say that with respect to kinds of interactions you've never had before, you're still pretty uncertain about how those interactions would go. But right. you do know a lot more about the kind of interactions you have had. Right. So, but it seems to me that most people... What respect means is about how you're treated in the interactions you do have, not the ones you don't have. I'm less persuaded that there's some hypothetical ideal interaction that almost nobody ever has, but somehow that's the thing people really care about in all the rest of their respect signals. I think more they care about being respected in the things they do have. Although, I mean, so for example, you know, a married couple, for example, might be worried about whether the other person would cheat on them. And that's not something they would see often, but they might be an especially important interaction to to draw inferences about. Uh, or similarly, you might wonder, well, what do they say about me behind my back? Right? I, I don't hardly get to see that. And so I might just main, stay for a long time uncertain about what they say about me behind my back. And so it seems to me like the remaining uncertainty is primarily about things you wouldn't see very often, but that you still care a lot about. So I think there's a question, why would you care whether your spouse cheated on you or why would you care what they said about you behind your back? And you care about those things, not intrinsically, but as signals. Those are also signals. Whether or not they cheat on you is a signal and whether or not they say stuff, bad stuff behind your back is a signal. And what is it a signal of? Well, it's a signal of how much they respect you. And so, we, but we still, that that's, Anytime it's a signal, we're pushing the actual discussion to some other case, which is the case about which the signal is giving you information. And so, in fact, I really do think respect has to be about how you're treated in the interactions you don't have. And I want to say that's not so different from one of your theories, the one where the respect is really about um, what if everybody abandoned you, which is like a circumstance you're unlikely to be in, right? So it's a it's a far extrapolation. So you're amenable to the far extrapolation case, and I just am extrapolating upwards rather than right. down. Right, but and the number of interactions we don't have is far larger than the number we do. Yeah. So you're you seem to be picking one particular thing we never almost never do. Yeah. And saying respect is all about that how we would treat each other in that one situation. Yes. And not about the millions of other things we also don't do, or right. even the thousands of things we do do. Right. That, that, that's correct. Um, and I think because I think fundamentally we want to be respected as, as minds, like as um, um, 
as beings that are capable of thinking about good and bad. That is the that is the sort of description under which we seek respect. And um, if somebody, if if suppose I am a being who has thoughts about good and bad, and suppose they agree with your thoughts, we have the same thoughts about good and bad. Well, then it's no sign of respect that you're like, those are some good ideas. In, in saying that my ideas are good ideas, in that case, you're just saying your own ideas are good ideas, right? And so you're just, in effect, respecting me is just the same as respecting yourself. And it only counts for something if there was like a challenge to it, if the, you know, if there were the stakes. And so, yeah, it seems to me that the ultimate case of respect is going to be when you continue to see me as a mind who thinks about good and bad, even when I have different thoughts than you about good and bad. But you and I are intellectuals, and our ability to think is especially important to our identity and our status in the world. But I've just met a lot of people for whom that's not so true. I, I'm just not, it's not obvious to me that, you know, the, the lodestar for most people of respect is, you know, if we were to have a discussion, would you respect my thoughts enough about it to maybe be persuaded by me? I think there are a great many people who see themselves as, no, that's not what they're especially good at, and therefore they're not going to put all their self, you know, respect on that feature. And they care about a bunch of other things that they think they bring to the world and they bring value for, and what they want to be respected is for those other things, not necessarily for their ability to have a equal conversation where they persuaded the other person. So. An indication um, about this is like, how many people are just okay with being seen as dumb? How common, among all these people you know who are not intellectuals, are they fine with you saying to them, I'm a lot smarter than you? Like, let's just get some of the facts on the table. You know, you're better working with your hands, but I'm smarter than you. Probably you're not going to say that to these people, even if it's true. Um, it would offend them. Why would it offend them? Well, because it would be a sign that you didn't respect them. Why? Because the actual, like, you know, real context of respect is one where their ability to use their mind matters. But this description is true for dozens or hundreds of other features of them by which people very people also don't want to be told they're worse on those things, even when they are. People just don't want to be told they're worse on most anything. Right. I think that's true. And that's because, for, I mean, like, um, um, it in general, um, almost any way in which somebody is worse at something can then serve as like a signal or a marker of lack of respect. So that telling someone you're worse than me at painting or something can be like refusing to shake your hand. Um, but I think it is striking that the one about intelligence runs pretty deep and it runs pretty deep at a cultural level, right? Like the idea that some groups are more intelligent than others is like unspeakable. Um, and uh, I think that that just shows, I mean, it's a mistake, obviously, because um, whether or not you can be treated as having a mind and having a mind equal to to mine in a in a debate has very little to do with how intelligent you are but it's a uh, something that it's a it's a ready confusion and so the intelligence one is going to be more pervasive than the question of you know like um do you shake my hand or bow or something it's gonna it's it it, it runs closer to the actual context of respect so i've met people uh reasonable people who 
with respect to other people, are wary of doing the whole let's just work it out together thing exactly because they think, well, you're just smarter than me, <laughs> cleverer than me, and you'll be able to outthink me in this process. Yeah. And then if I'm obligated to sort of acknowledge whatever seems to be the truth at the end of this, I will get, you know, pushed into accepting what you want me to accept. That yes. is, that that's an exactly uh, where people say, you know, I don't idealize the scenario you're describing because I think um, we do very differ in certain mental skills and I would be at a disadvantage there. And they right. therefore want to pick other forums as kinds of ways to settle disputes. Right. So I think that that's right. But I think if you're an intellectual and you find that a lot of people are having that response to you, you fail as an intellectual. Um, in particular, what you failed to do is get them to see that were they to interact with you intellectually, your goal wouldn't be to persuade them of anything. And so you wouldn't be outthinking them by persuading them that you're right because you don't get anything out of persuading people of things. As properly an intellectual, what you would get out of the interaction is the chance to learn that you're wrong if you are in fact wrong. Um or the chance to show them that they're wrong if they're in fact wrong. And you would not have, there is no benefit to you in leveraging your extra cognitive powers in order to get them persuaded of something that's wrong. That would be a fit. You would see that as a failure on your end. If you have a kind of conveyed that you would see that as a failure, then they just see you as an intellectual bully rather than as an intellectual. So I think we're running out of time in terms of we should uh, wrap it up, I guess, in five minutes or so or something. Um, Three minutes, yes. Okay. <laughs> or so. Um, I guess I'll stick with the claim that people have a lot of different things they want respect on. And like the uber respect isn't about your intellectual abilities in a ideal conversation. Uh, there's just a lot of different things people want respect for. And for most people, even that's not the main one. Um, but I do think we agree that people want respect and, uh, that the need to show respect is a tax on many other things. And there's a lot of things to think through about how can we respect each other well, without sort of paying such a big tax. That is, this seems an important topic. Once we realize there is this huge respect tax and people are paying it large amounts all the time. Uh, and it's a complicated thing that it seems worth trying to figure that out. Um, and, you know, one thing people say is that, you know, by knowing people better, you can pay a lower tax. If that's not true, then, um, well, we need some other candidates. What else could we do to lower the respect tax? Yeah. So I've given you an answer to that question. It's, no, we you have. yes, we could actually do the thing. So good you haven't said how to do that. You just said it's an ideal that could in principle happen. You haven't said how do we actually do it. So you said, um, um, well, there's all kinds of different things we want to be respected for. I think, no, there is one thing. I want what it is to be respected is it, it comes very close to the phrase, I have a right to my opinions. That is, I want other people to see me as someone with a perspective, someone with a mind, someone to whom the world appears to be a certain way. And I don't want them to sort of stomp all over that 
or say things like, well, I'm an expert, so your view doesn't matter. I want somehow my point of view on the world to matter. And I think even people who aren't intellectuals care a lot about that. They care that their, that their point of view, their way of thinking about things has a bearing for others. Um, and I think the way that you um, exercise that very activity of respecting people is to engage that point of view without having as your goal persuading them that they're wrong that's it that's how you do it no you have to show them that it can't just be that you have to show them it in order to you know pass the signal test i agree but i i think like if you if you do a good job of doing it and you're do and you're doing it with them that is that you're not just doing a performance right they're participating in the process then the activity just is they're doing it too they're engaging in the very activity of them being respected it sounds like the usual answer if you want people to feel respected just respect them yes yeah, so, but i'm telling you how like it's not by like shaking their hand or bowing to them or calling them sir or giving the right amount of signals or creating the world in which fewer signals are required or getting to know them better. None of those things are going to work. You actually have to go to what is it that the people really want, which is to have their point of view be engaged with but not squashed and do that. Yeah, that is how you actually respect people. And it, they'll feel respected if you respect them. That doesn't follow. It. I think that their feeling respected is part of your activity of respecting them. That is because it's a cooperative activity. Like you may think you're doing, you may like, I'm being super respectful, but if they're not feeling respected, then as a matter of fact, you haven't engaged their point of view, though you may think to yourself that you have. It's a cooperative activity. So yeah, I, I do think it actually follows that you're not doing it. Part of what you're doing, you're do what you're doing is not exhausted by your intentions. I think we shall have to end it there. Okay. <laughs> agree to disagree. Uh, well, agree to respect each other in our discussion of the topic. I don't think that makes sense, but okay. <laughs> well, we, we hopefully tried to respect each other and whether we did it or not, I guess if the other person doesn't feel respected, then according to your description, you must not have been respecting. I, I give this one like an 87% this conversation. Respect. Okay. So that's, that's pretty high score. All right. Well, we'll take that then. Okay. That's enough for now.